All right. We are in Second Peter. Uh, most of you guys know we've been making our way through this letter. We're going just systematically through the Bible. If you're new to Calvary, welcome. Uh, for us, we take a book of the Bible, and so we're going book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and so we find ourselves uh, kind of in a slow crawl. Uh, we're in first, the first chapter of Second Peter. Uh, Michael and LJ, those guys, they have extra Bibles, so if you need to borrow one, you can wave at them. They'll be happy to let you borrow Bible so you can follow with us. We're not going to be doing too big of a section this morning looking at verses 10 and 11, kind of this next bite, if you will. Uh, of our time. I entitled our message, The Reward of the Diligent. And so we'll be looking at what Peter has to say uh, to his readers and of course to us as we read these things. I will say that as we drop in, we're going to jump in the middle of, of a thought, of a transition. And so that's not always best. I want to make sure we understand context. So we will do a little bit of, of rewind and review to make sure we understand context as to what Peter is telling us. Okay. Well, I I have a saved round. It's a, it's a public service announcement. Tomorrow in Okinawa and for the next three days is Obon. And Obon is uh, a very big and important uh, holiday for the Okinawan Japanese. And uh, it's very celebratory, although it's very spiritual as well. Uh, and so uh, you will more than likely see the Asa dancers and hear the taiko drums and these kind of things. Um, my encouragement to us as a church body is that when you hear those things, especially the drums, let that become a prompt for you just to pray for Okinawa, for Japan, that God would save the Okinawans and the Japanese, that their eyes would be open to his love and his truth and his goodness uh, to the kingdom of light uh, as you, you know, hear and see and maybe even, you know, spectate some of these things. Uh, it can be very festive, but uh, there's, there's a lot of spiritual uh, components to it. Okay. So that's happening. And then just be aware of traffic and all the stuff that comes with that. So just the PSA. All right. Uh, second Peter chapter two. And if you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand as we do here at Calvary in honor of God and his word. Verses 10 through 11. Again, we're dropping in the middle of a thought. So we want to make sure that, that we'll go back and understand context. But Peter writes, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. And then he adds this really interesting uh, thought. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. All right, we'll pause there. When you take a moment, greet a neighbor, say hello to somebody new, and then you can have a seat and we'll jump in. I want to say thank you, you guys. Uh, some of you know this past week, our summer interns, we had three of them. They were able to get back and they're back at school and just, uh, you know, the next season of life is happening for them, include my, my son as well. So thank you for praying for them. Uh, I had the opportunity on behalf of us just to take a moment before they left to encourage them, to thank them, pray for them, and kind of send them off. Uh, but also, I, uh, I have known many of them, or two of them, I should say, the three, not many of them, two of them, since they were younger, my son being one of them, just uh, sharing my heart as kind of a pastor dad, and, and especially practically in their travels. And so uh, after I gave them the, the prayer and just the encouragement to follow Christ and these things, 
Uh, I took a, a moment to prep them on their upcoming journey uh, as they're traveling internationally. And I tried to do my best to describe for them uh, the process of getting on the plane, going through security, to encourage them not to dilly-dally, don't get distracted, uh, make sure you get you know, through the things that you need to get to. Uh, they had a layover in Taipei, so I said, this is what it's going to look like when you get off. You're going to change a terminal. Uh, don't worry about your bags, but when you get to LAX, you know, all of it, like, you're going to go through immigration, you're going to go through customs, you're going to get your bags, you know, all of those things. And I wanted to, to do that because I didn't want to have to pay for an extra ticket if they got stuck, uh, one. But also that, you know, just for them, that they would just be confident in their travels to know what they could expect so that as best as it could go, uh, there's always the unknowns, delays, and these things, but that, you know, their travels would be as smooth as possible. And I told them, listen, stick to the plan. Do not deviate. Because for the most part, it will go well for you if you follow this plan. But if you wander off, if you get distracted, if you miss your flight, you got to apply for Taiwanese citizenship. That's it. You're, you know, um, it won't go well for you if you don't. And I bring all that up in light of them leaving, but also just Peter's words for his readers in verses 10 through 11. Essentially, that's what Peter has been telling us. He's saying, listen, God has a plan for you. God loves us. God has provided everything that we need for this trip and this journey, our travels, but make sure we stick to the plan because if we stick to the plan for the most part, it will go well for us. Now to use traveling analogies, there's still turbulence and there's still difficulties and there's delays. That's part of life. But Peter wants to ensure that you and I will reap the reward of our diligence and hence my title and really what we're going to hear Peter say in verses 10 and 11 specifically. So, I draw your attention back to verse 10, where we start this verse at, therefore, brethren. Let's just pause for a moment. That phrase in itself should signal to you, and if you've been in church for a while, hopefully you've heard this before, especially for us English speakers, when you see the word therefore, you want to ask, what's it there for? Because it's a, it's a buzzword, it's a keyword, it's a, it's a word that basically is a hinge from something before in context. Peter has already laid out something, and now he's going to bring us to a conclusion or a direction or a directive. And so we want to make sure we understand what does this mean? Context. Context is king. <laughs> Context is important, especially when we're studying the scriptures. We don't want to take things out of context. So it's a little bit of a review, but bear with me. Based upon what Peter has already told us, he's now going to tell us to do something else. The question we have to ask is, what has he already told us? What is the therefore therefore? What has he laid out on the table? Well, from the beginning, he's laid out the table the fact that God has saved you and me. By the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we can amplify that because God loved you, God's grace, Christ alone, faith alone, by grace alone, you and I have been brought into the family of God. And we have been saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not our own. We don't earn it. We don't rate it. We're not religious enough. 
It's solely because of what Christ has done for us. Along with that, Peter reminded you and me that we have a new nature. And so God has brought us, uh, Colossians 1.13 says that he, uh, my, my paraphrase, he's PCS'd you out of the kingdom of darkness and he brought you into his kingdom of light and he gave you and me a new ID card. We get to be his dependents. Access to all of the riches in Christ Jesus, all of his resources. You and I have a new nature, a new identity. I mean, Peter alludes to that. Part of it is the fact that you and I then also have new family. God calls you and me to a relationship to himself. That's an amazing thing. But guess what? God calls you and me to a relationship with each other. And so he identifies them as brethren. It also reminds us he's writing to believers. He's not talking to the unbeliever, but he's talking to those who name the name of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that's you this morning. And even as we prayed for the Case family, we love them. We call them family in the Lord. But there is ultimately this hope that we have and belief assurance that we have that even if we don't see them on this side of eternity, we get to hang and party with them in heaven. It's the one thing we get to bring with us. It's relationships in Christ. And what a great treasure God has given us in that. And so Peter reminds us of this fact. These are the things that he has laid out. He's also told us that we have been given divine power, that God supplies. And he had told us before, everything that we need to live godly, to live victoriously, God has provided for us in the person of the spirit and by the word of God. We have the resources that we need to accomplish the very thing that God is directing us to do. And God adds that to say, and Peter reminds us that he's given us precious promises. His very word. You know, the word and the promise of other people, you know, I know, uh, they will fail us. President uh, elections uh, coming up in the United States, and you see all the politicians, perhaps you watched some of the debate the other day that happened, and, you know, they, they will promise many things. And perhaps even have great intention, maybe great desire. And yet sometimes for circumstances, they can't fulfill those things. And sometimes we get disappointed. We get disenchanted. But we serve a God who loves us and has called us. And Peter reminds us, he never fails. He will always keep his word. He is true to his promises. And because he's always true, it makes him trustworthy. People will fail us and politicians will fail us, our leaders, and even people that love us because they're flawed. But God will never fail us. Peter reminded us that he's delivered us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. We've escaped the, he he uses the term, the, the lust of this world. Peter's reminded us that God is for us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to um, have fruit in our life. And he says, and the Lord has given us these, if you will, we call them spiritual vitamins, right? Verses five through seven. If we, if we take our, vit- our spiritual vitamins, then they provide both a, a preventive measure. It's the things that we, are, um, that we get to avoid that keeps us from unfruitfulness, unbarrenness, from blindness, from spiritual amnesia. We don't want to forget the goodness of God. 
But now he adds, therefore, he says, now he adds the, the things that we get to acquire. It's the results, the rewards that God includes as this benefit of, of, a, of a sanctified and spiritual hustle, if you will. And so he says, therefore, brethren, in light of all that God has given us and all, all light of these things that God has laid out on the table for you and for me, therefore, what? Well, let's be even more diligent to make your call and in your election sure. There, there's a lot to unpack in that. We have to understand what, what does Peter mean and what does he, what doesn't he mean? Now, this idea to be even more diligent, Peter has already directed us to be diligent. He's going to use this word several more times, by the way. It's you know, one of the things that he, he likes to say in his second letter. But back in verse 5, he told us to be diligent, or your Bible might translate it, to make every effort. And if you're familiar with the earlier verses, or if you're with us, you remember, we took some time to unpack that. What does that mean, giving all diligence? And and we looked at that and said, well, that means to have uh, intentionality. There's a desire there. And we can even begin with that. If there's not even a desire there, then there, there should be an introspection of, okay, am I really walking with the Lord? Because it's God who both wills and to do, you know, to uh, work for his good pleasure. And so there should be an intentionality but along with intensity, right? It's a, it's a passionate pursuit, something that we're yearning for. We have a thirst for, we have a hunger for. It's not, it's not haphazard. It's not casual. It's not a, oh, I'll get to it when I can. It's not a, like, I'll think about it later. No, th- th- this is something that Peter prescribes and says, we should make this a priority. There's an intensity to our intentionality. We're locked and loaded. We're, we're on track for this thing. In my mind's eye, I think about my, my wife, Christy, before we got married, when she was dating me, she, hung, she pursued me like a hungry lioness, you know. <laughs> At least that's how I like to remember it. <laughs> I don't know if that actually that's the way it went, but it's that idea. We don't want to be lazy about it. This is something we want. We're committed. We're all in. It's that level of focus. It's that level of discipline. I mean, some of you, you know, there, there are certain pursuits that you have. There are certain passions that you have and disciplines that you have. To get up early and make sacrifices, to work out or to get your degree or whatever it is that you might be in pursuit of. Remember, we talked about where does our spirituality fit in that equation? Are we giving priority to the things of God? Well, Peter ups the ante. Back in five, he says, give all diligence to this. Now he says, make it even be more diligent. For at level eight, on the other thing, Peter says, let's go to level nine. Let's go level 10. Let's increase the the intensity of what, Peter? Of this specific part. Of this particular focus. And what is that? He says, make your call and election Sure. But even in that, that's, we got to define that. What is that? What do you mean, Peter? How do I do that? So what does Peter mean? Well, first we, I think we have to define what does he mean by call and election? I want to submit to you that the, the, 
our call, if you will, your call, your election, the, the believer's calling is, is synonymous with salvation. That, that it's the call of God, that God calls you by his spirit to a relationship to himself. Peter alluded to this back in verse three, where he says, and God who called us by his own glory and virtue or his goodness. And so it's the believer's call of God calling us to himself and the fact that you and I have been elected. The idea that God selected you. And Ephesians tells us even before time began, because God exists outside of time and space and, and the Lord had you on his mind and his heart. And so if you agree with that definition, if we agree then, okay, our call and our election is our spiritual salvation, which is described in so many different beautiful ways, isn't it? We've been adopted, we've been rescued, we've been transferred, we've been conveyed, we've been born again. We've been called, we've been elected, we've been chosen. If we agree that that is what it means, and if we further agree that the Bible clearly teaches that that comes solely through faith in Jesus Christ, there is no other name given under heaven which we must be saved. That if we agree that it comes solely then through the grace of God in the person of Christ by his righteousness alone, that as Ephesians tells us, it's a gift that God gives you. We, we can't earn that. We're not religious enough. And how do we make every effort how can we be more diligent to make that sure? It seems to be a contradictory. Because if we believe then this is salvation and we believe then this is something that God has done for us and we are merely the recipients then, this is not something that we can make more sure. It is sure. And I would add, it's not something we can make more sure factually. Because it is assured and it's secured by God himself. The beautiful picture of the gospel is that when you and I are saved, again, by God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, it's this supernatural, and the Bible describes it in so many ways. I used one earlier, right? We were conveyed, we're PCS, we were moved, you were transferred from kingdom of darkness into kingdom of light. Think about all the other contrasts that were used to describe our salvation. We're blind, but now we see. We're lost, but now we're found. We are far off, but now we're near. We were once alienated from God. We once were enemies with God, but now we become the friends of God. We're adopted. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet he made us alive in Christ. We've been washed, accepted, we're declared righteous. All because of what Christ did, because God loves you. And he placed us then in the household of faith. The Bible says he, gives, he gave us his Holy Spirit that guarantees and seals us to the day of redemption. We can't make that more factual. We can't make that more true. It's just, it's true. 
So our, our, we got to figure out what does Peter mean then? How can I be more diligent? How can I apply more diligence to make what is already true more true? So here's what I want to suggest. I don't think he's suggesting the fact that we have anything to do with the fact that God had saved us and the fact, the factual truth of what God has declared. What we get to do, well, our responsibility is then that we get a solid grasp of that truth practically. If we believe it, we profess it, we proclaim it, well, then we should live it. It should then be part of then how we think and how we speak and, and how we react to things. The price is paid. Jesus says, it's finished. The transaction is done. It's final. The contract is signed. And so the Bible is very clear. God is sure. The question for us, though, is are we sure? Are we sure? Do you know that you know that you're saved? And all that God has done for you. See, the Bible, the Bible teaches us that we've been positionally placed in the Lord. Again, Ephesians 1. If you read through that, you're going to find this in him over and over again. We're in him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And so we're placed positionally in the Lord. But with that comes then God's expectation of you and me, if you will, to work out the thing that God has put in us, our, that our faith would be practiced and outwardly, practically. I'll give you one verse. I think that helps to illustrate this, this thought. It's, a, it's Ephesians 2.10. You go through the first part of Ephesians, just beautiful picture of our of who we used to be, right? Our BC days and how we once lived this way, but because of God's great mercy in our life, you know, it's the, it's the after, it's the before and after Jenny Craig. It's the before and after Jesus Christ picture. And he, and he lands here in verse 10 of chapter two. And he says, but you and I are, we, we are God's workmanship. This beautiful Greek word poema. God is the master craftsman. He's the artisan. And, and God is working in your life and mine, right? We're all works in progress. But you are a masterpiece in the master's hands. You, you are his workmanship. And the rest of that verse goes on to say, and you're created. We're created in Christ Jesus. For what? He says, for good works. That's purpose. That's direction. And then we're told God prepared all these things beforehand that we then should walk in them, that we then should work those things out. And so this is what Peter is bringing us to. This is what I submit. It's not that we can make that fact more factual. It's the fact that we work that out practically. There's this part that God has done. And there's a part that God expects us then to respond um, years ago, uh, Volkswagen used to have this ad campaign that I really liked. It, it, the, the tagline was, on the road of life, drivers wanted. And, uh, and, and I'm like, oh, yes, that's me. So I bought a Volkswagen GTI. Yeah. <laughs> My friends used to say it was a Golf. I'm like, no, it's a GTI. Right? <laughs> I even put a hole in the muffler so it sounded more, you know, beefy. Anyways. 
on, on, the, on the road of, of, of faith certainly does not negate the fact that God promises to work in us, right? He, he promises to complete the good work he began in you till the day of Christ Jesus. We don't negate that. We don't, the fact that the Spirit leads us and guides us and brings us to his truth, reminds us of his truth, comforts us and convicts us, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yet at the same time, you and I, we're not called to be passive passengers on the road of faith. You and I are called to be active participants, actively responding, actively engaging, and loving obedience to what God has laid out for us. And, and what I'm challenged by and what I appreciate when Peter uses this possessive term to make your call and election sure, the idea is that you and I have to take ownership of this. We take ownership of our spiritual growth. You are accountable for the things that you do with Jesus Christ. And, and our time this morning doesn't permit us to, to unpack all of that, but understand there are many parables that Jesus gives us through the gospels. And, and, uh, and, and we're told that one day as believers, we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. What did we do with the opportunities that God gave us? What did you do with, what did you and I do with the time that God gave you? What did you do with the talents that God gave you? What did you do with the treasures that God has entrusted you with? What was our stewardship of those things? Not for judgment in terms of our salvation. That's what Jesus paid for. But this other judgment seat called the Bema Seat of Christ. It's an interesting, fascinating idea that there's this heavenly compensation, if you will. A reward that God will give us based upon our faithfulness on this side of eternity. And so... We need to take ownership of that. Now, again, like a lot of things we've talked about, there's kind of these, these two parts. I, I think sometimes by observation, we talked about this, um, I think it was last week and a couple weeks ago. Sometimes there are those who will, they're quick to blame the church or blame the pastor or blame their youth leaders or elders for their lack of spiritual maturity. And, and I want to say, certainly there is a place and there's a role that the church and our spiritual leaders play in our spiritual growth. I mean, built into the design of this thing called the church and the body of Christ are roles and responsibilities and, and leadership capacities that God designates and identifies and then gives responsibility that we would operate together in this thing called the church. In fact, it's exampled and, and laid out for us in the book of Ephesians. Um, but let's turn there real quick. I, I, think it, I think it's important. It's good. There's no third service too, so we're good. We're good. It's Ephesians 4. starting at verse 11, but let me, let me just read verses one through three. Cause it's so good. This whole chapter is really good, but it's Paul, the apostle, not Peter this time. He's writing to this community 
in chapter four of Ephesians, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. And so again, there, there's that same term calling God's called us. Paul adds the attitude in which we're to do that with humility, lowliness, gentleness, long suffering, bearing with each other in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes on to say how God has worked in us. He's given us grace, but also he's given us himself. And also he's given us gifts, if you will. And those gifts come in, in, in the form of, of people that God's placed in our lives to help us spiritually. And that's what verse 11, he says, and he himself gave, what did he give? He gave some apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Not all of us are called to that, some of us. But what, what, what is it the purpose of that? For the equipping of the saints. Well, that's all of us. That's all of us. You name the name of Jesus Christ, that, that's you. For what? For the work of ministry, the things that God has called us to do. For the edifying, that's the idea that we're going to grow up. We're going to be strengthened in the body of Christ. What's the goal? That we come to the unity of faith. To the knowledge of the Son of God. Peter's going to say that we're going to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To a perfect person. To the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. If you've been in churches for a while, you've, you know, you've been a Christian, you've heard like, you know, God's making us like his son in the image of Christ. That, that's the idea here. And, and what? Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. No longer be spiritually immature. No longer be babies, spiritual babies, drinking a spiritual bottle. But that we would grow up. That we wouldn't be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, cunningness of the craftiness of deceitful plotting. Like we live in a world that there is all kinds of wicked ideology and they're competing for your attention and your heart and your kids too, by the way. But what? Speaking the truth in love that we can grow up in all things into him who is the head. Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. What does that mean? That's you and me. According to what every effective working by which every part that's you and me does it share. And what happens? We get to grow together. And, and so, yes, there is a part in which I am and, and we are collectively um, accountable to do the things that God's called us to do so that we then together as a community in this season that you call Calvary home, or, or even if, if you're visiting and you feel like maybe we're not your flavor, I, that, that's okay, I get it. There's some amazing churches on this island. But wherever you find yourself to be committed and plugged in in this season, it's for this purpose, to grow, to contribute, and so we, we, there's an accountability collectively, but, but also there's a part where, listen, you are responsible for your growth. You're responsible. You're going to stand before the Lord and give an account, just, just like I will. Now, James tells us, hey, be careful. Don't let everyone become a teacher because I'm going to incur stricter judgment. Right? I'm going to stand before the Lord. I'm going to give an account of the things that I said from this pulpit. I don't take it lightly. 
I certainly want to have fun at times. I think God will give me some grace on some of my jokes that don't go so well. But a workman, not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But guess what? You, you're going to give an account for your faith and what you did. I mean, just like each person's responsible as God opens their heart and eyes to receive Christ. Right? We, we can't be saved by the proxy of somebody else. And maybe you've had parents who love the Lord and grandparents who love the Lord. I envy you if that's you. But guess what? You're not automatically saved. You don't automatically become a Christian just because uh, your mom and dad were or you come from a Christian family. You have to, as, the God, as God opens your heart and your eyes to respond, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's an individual thing. And so to make our call and our election sure, it is to make it, it's to make it stable in our own hearts and minds and soul. Yeah, it, it's, not, it's not on the proxy based upon what other people do or don't do. And sometimes we're quick to blame other people or blame the church or blame the pastor. Uh, in a couple of weeks, my son Noah's going to get married. Um, I'm going to be taken off for a little bit. To, I get to go do that wedding. And so you can pray for him and his lovely bride-to-be, uh, Lydia. You know, time's getting close, so there's a lot of things. And But at one point, they were getting really nervous, and I said, listen, it, if you guys just wanted to elope and go to Vegas, like, I'll meet you there. It'd be great. There's some great buffets. Well, let, let's get her done, right? And then just trying to encourage them, but... Uh, in California, I didn't know you this, uh, you can actually get married by proxy. Do you know that? Like someone can stand in for you. No, weird thing. So I told Noah, if you get really nervous, your brother can stand in for you. It'll be fine. You know, so, <laughs> he didn't like that idea. Uh, we can't get saved by proxy, if you will. I mean, Christ paid for us. He's our proxy, but and, and our faith is our faith. It's our calling. It's our election. And so it is then to set our lives on a course in pursuit of truth, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And, and what does Peter add to that? If you do these things, you will never stumble. That's a lofty promise. That conditional statement, if we do this, then this is, will be the result of that. You will never stumble. Now, we also have to define what does that mean. But I want to make sure we're solid. You understand that God loves you. His desire for you and me is to grow. That we would grow stronger. That we would understand his love and his grace for us. That that would be a non-negotiable. That regardless of what happens to us, that we wouldn't let go of what is true. Sometimes people do. In Colossians 2, Paul says, Therefore, if you've received Christ as your Lord, so walk in him. And being firmly rooted. But now you're also being built up. It's, you know, deep roots and a strong structure. Established in your faith. Just as you were instructed. Flowing with gratitude. And see to it that no one then takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, 
according to the elementary principles of this world. And so Peter says, when we give these things focus, it, it blesses us, not only by what it prevents, but also what it promises. And what does it promise? It promises us a sure footing. He says, if you do these things, what are, what are these things? Again, in context, we have to define that. What are these things? He uses the same phrase in verses 9 and verses 8. If you don't do these things, or if these things are yours and they're abounding, then he says, and if these things you do them, this is what happened. We got to define what are these things? These things are verse 5 through 7. It's the prescription that he's given us. We have a baseline of faith and we then pursue these disciplines. But notice with me, it's quite the claim, this conditional clause, that if we are pursuing verses five through seven, he says, we'll never stumble. Then we have to define what, what does he mean by never stumble? Do you mean I'll never sin again, Peter? Do you mean that I'll never have to fight my flesh, that I'll, I won't yell at my kids, that I won't, you know, be tempted to give someone the one-way sign when they cut me off when I'm driving? Like, like, I can go to Mr. Donuts and resist temptation? Like, is that? We got to figure out what, he, what does he mean. It's a great word picture, stumbling. I mean, spiritual stumbling and physical stumbling look similar. It's a disruption to our walk. Right? It, it's... It's we get tripped up. We understand the natural. Have you ever been walking along? You just kind of trip over your own feet. It's ever happened to you? Get embarrassed. At least when it happens to me, I get embarrassed. I'm like looking around for what it was and hopefully no one saw me and just pretend like there's something there, you know? Uh, usually I sit in the back because I have to pray so I can, you know, pray that I'm not so nervous when I come up here and, um, and so my, every time I walk up here, I pray, Lord, I pray don't stumble. That would be terrible. <laughs> but spiritual stumbling is like physical stumbling. And it, and it ties us back to the verses that he already gave us. This is where the context matters. Because when you think about the common factors of, of physical, literal stumbling, there are a number of them, but I, I want to offer a few. I, I think as it relates to what he's already told us, one, one of those things that he's told us is that if we practice these things then we won't be short-sighted. We won't be blind. And I think a component of stumbling is when we can't see well, right? When our vision is impaired or we're walking in the dark, that, that, that is usually the scenario in which we can find ourselves stumbling. And so again, the, the practical part of this is that, well, we want to have our eyes on the Lord. We want to make sure that we're seeing clearly what God has for us, that we're not in darkness, that we are as children of light, walking in the light. And that, that becomes a diagnostic, like where are we walking? Where, where are you living? Where, where, where are you engaging yourself in? What websites are you clicking on? Several years ago, this big earthquake happened in the middle of the night. And I got up and, I, and I, my first instinct was just to check on my kids. So I ended up running. We lived in a two-story house that time. And I just ran up and I missed the last four steps of the stairwell. And I just plowed right into the floor. Boom! That's why I looked the way that I looked. But anyways. 
Like we, we can stumble in the darkness. Can't see where we're going. And we can stumble when we're distracted. Our attention, our mind is not focused on our path. And so we neglect to see the, there's the, the curb or there's the step or there's the trip hazard or whatever. There's the door frame. And I don't know if you've ever been like maybe on your phone and you're engaged and all of a sudden you just, you know, walk into a wall. And certainly, you know, when we're driving, that's a terrible thing. You don't want to text and drive. And so we can stumble when we're not paying attention, when we're distracted. Right? He told us, oh, if these things are yours, then, you know, we, we don't want to forget that we've been cleansed. It messes with our, our mindset. And of course, if we're not in the right frame of mind, if you're tired, you're groggy, you're dizzy, People who are drugged and, and drunk, like they, they tend to stumble. They're not in the right mindset. And so likewise, when it comes to our walk on the Lord, if we're not focused on the Lord, if our focus is on something else, if we're not focused on his plans and his purposes and what God wants to do in this season of our life, we can stumble. We can stumble a lot. If we're not walking in the light. The Bible says of itself that it's a lamp and a light to our feet and our path. And so if we're not looking to the scriptures, if, it, if the word of God is not the illuminator of our decisions and of our heart and of our intentions, uh, don't be surprised if you slip or you stumble along the way in life. If we're not allowing the word of God to renew our minds, the washing of the word of God, the way that we think, then our, our judgments will be clouded. We'll find ourselves, you know, um, getting swayed with the politics of the world and you know, TikTok and uh, all these little real videos, like, you know, just get us worked up. We become dizzied and intoxicated with the way of the world. And so Peter prescribes this. Let's, let's make sure we understand the fact that God loves us. We're secured. Like, like make that your calling, your election, sure, in your heart, practically, as you walk these things out. Because what 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 does it guarantee us? What what does it guide us to? The secure footing. It's the idea that we will walk, if you will, faithfully and securely in our life. If I can add parenthetically, even though we talked about this last week, or even when storms come, even when the darkness comes. When, when we are fixed, when our faith is fixed on the finished work of Christ. I, I don't think Peter, I suggest you, I don't think Peter means that we, we won't stumble ever in our dealing with our flesh as though all of a sudden we won't sin. I don't think he's defining stumbling as sinning, but rather our insecurities and our unsecure thoughts, which makes vulnerable to lies and deception. Cause that's where he's going to bring the conversation. He's going to talk a lot about false teaching and false teachers, these ideologies, but that this part isn't necessarily this fail safe guarantee that we're not going to give into temptations of our flesh. Because if that was the case, I think that'd be amazing. Right. I, I don't know about you. I, I hate the battle I have with my old nature. I agree with 
Paul, and I appreciate Paul, the idea that, you know, the thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and the very thing that I don't want to do, I do. I'm trying to lose 20 pounds this summer for my son's wedding. I got 25 to go. It's like, (laughs) battle my flesh. And so I suggest to you, Peter isn't talking about achieving a state of sinlessness. Now, certainly I think there's a place for us as we walk with the Lord and we grow in the Lord, we should sin less. (laughs) We should should sin. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. We never get to that place of perfection until we enter into glory. Paul describes this in Romans 7 for us. But all that to say, the emphasis of this particular verse is to lock and load the assurance of our hope in Christ. That God did it, God said it, I believe it, it's settled. And when we're fixed on this truth and firm in this foundation, then Peter says we won't stumble then when the dark days come. When life sucker punches you, because it will. Right? When, when deep disappointments come our way, when you are denied, when you're passed up, the deadline is passed, the door's closed, the problem wasn't resolved, when it's out of your hands, when you can rightly say, and no one would argue when you would say, that's unfair. See, your feet won't slip because you know that there's a God who loves you. You won't get sideswiped because you know, my God, your God is bigger than the problem and he's greater than the diagnosis. I think about Asaph in Psalm 73. You can mark that down and read it later. It's this progression. It's so honest. He's like, Lord, I know that you're good. And, and, but for me, there's a time where my feet almost slipped. I almost stumbled. And he explains why. He says, in my paraphrase, I'm I'm trying to do the best I can to follow you and live for you. And and I'm watching everybody else and they hate you and they're living for the world and they're getting promoted. They won the lottery. They got the car that I wanted. Their house doesn't have mold. (laughs) And he's like, I'm doing all that I can. I'm getting kicked in the teeth. And he gets to the end and he says, and I thought about how to understand it. It was just too painful for me. Then there's a pivot until, until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. And then I understood the word of God and the truth of the Lord help give him perspective. And, and that's where Peter brings us in verse 11. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. All right. I'm going to run out of time. So let me just give you the points real quick. What do we gain as a result of this sanctified hustle? We we realize investing in the kingdom of God uh, guarantees us this future reward. It comes with blessings now, but guess what? It comes with blessings later. But here are the blessings we get now. We get assurance, we get perspective, and we have purpose. Assurance, perspective, and purpose. The promise of heaven provides assurance. Do you know where you're going when you die? I do. The Bible says, be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I have no doubts. 
I pass from this life to the next, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to be with the Lord. And, and it provides such an assurance. The other day when at four o'clock in the morning, all of Okinawa is wakened by uh, a warning, a missile is coming. Did anybody sleep through that? A couple people. That's a lot of you. I want your superpower. Like it woke me up. I'm like, whoa, what's going to happen? So I'm praying and Later on that day, I, I saw my daughter, Rebecca, and I said, hey, were you freaked out? And she's like, no. I went to the window to see if what was going to happen. I'm like, you did? It's like, yeah, I thought this is great if we're going to, if this is the end, I get to see it. I'm like, you popcorn? You're like watching? Like, you know, like, it's like, I think it's the best way to go. I'm in my bed in my pajamas. And I'm like, all right, honey. You have more faith than I do. It's awesome. <laughs> There's such an assurance, right? The, the hope and promise of heaven gives us that. What else does it give us? It gives us perspective. We get to see things. We're not, we don't panic. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to hit the panic button. God's in control. God's on the throne. He's not biting his nails. He's not pacing heaven. He's got us. 2 Kings 6.17, Gehazi's freaking out. Elijah says, Lord, just open his eyes. Let him see what I see. I mean, Peter's going to point us there in a little bit. In chapter 3, he's going to say, you know what? Everything's going to burn. It's all going to go in a, it's all going to melt. And if that's the case, then how ought we to live? And he orients us. We're going to look forward and upward. That's our perspective. Forward and upward. And then lastly, I heard the bell. Uh, promise of heaven provides us purpose. Again, it's a good question now. What are we living for? What are we living for? Where, where are we investing? Your time, your talents, your treasures. Missionary C.T. Studd said, we only have one life and it's going to pass soon. One life will soon be passed and only what's done with Christ, for Christ, as you mean, will last. We sang earlier, right? We want to hear, well done. We want to hear that from our Lord. I, I, I know that I do. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my everlasting kingdom. That's the promise. That is the reward. That's what we're living for. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, we thank you for your word and your grace, your spirit. We thank you, God, for your truth. And I pray, I think, as we prayed at the beginning, that these things will be more than just notes that we've taken, but that please help us to put handles on these truths that we carry them home. And they become a part of who we are to influence them and, and, and really permeate that what we think and what we do and, and where we spend our time and the relationships we develop. And Lord, to, to, to know that you're with us, that we wouldn't have any doubts, that we wouldn't waver on those things. And so I, I thank you, God, for our church family. I pray that you would bless them in every way. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things together. Amen.